catch up. They're all available uh, online. Next week, though, we'll take a break for our Mission Sunday when we'll be celebrating together things that God is doing uh, around the world. Week after that, the truth about life, which will be a baptismal service, a service to uh, especially for you to invite friends and family to. And then the week after that will be the truth, <coughs> excuse me, the truth about hell, which will kind of uh, uh, be the two ends of uh, this little uh, journey together. Picture with me uh, an old man living on a remote island. He's about 90 years of age, and he knows, obviously, it will soon be his time to die. Like many elderly people today, this man is isolated and lonely. He's cut off from friends and family at a time he needs them more than ever. Frail and weak, he's facing the great unknown of eternity. This man, surprisingly, was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. In fact, probably one of Jesus' dearest, if not closest, friends. His name was John, and the Gospels refer to him as the beloved disciple. Once a fisherman, but now towards the end of the first century, he has spent the rest of his years celebrating and communicating what he has understood to be true about Jesus. And he's become one of the most respected disciples across the whole of the known church. But he's paid a high price for his outspokenness and finds himself in his twilight years, exiled on the island of Patmos. Death is now around the corner. And in the midst of that moment of frailty, God gives to John this most amazing vision, not only of Jesus, but also a tantalizing glimpse of what heaven will be like. This glorious vision which is included for us in the book of Revelation. It was given not just for John's personal comfort, although it certainly did that, but given to encourage and sustain God's people throughout the centuries as they face daily the pressures and struggles of life here on earth. So I want to ask you this morning, if you're facing the future with your eyes wide shut, if your teeth are clenched and your body is tense for fear of what tomorrow might bring, then God wants to bring to you the same eternal hope that he brought to John way back then on the Isle of Patmos. God wants to bring to you the same eternal hope that he brought to all those early disciples in the final words that he left with them. For whatever the pressures are in your life and mine, the Bible encourages us to set our hearts on things above. To set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For many of us, though, heaven offers us little comfort. In fact, rather than removing the anxiety about the future, heaven can create more anxiety within us. A Christian pastor expressed it like this. Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather cease to exist when I die. You might ask, why would any Christian feel like that? Uh, And I, I guess it's not exactly what you'd expect your pastor to say. But he goes on to explain why. And what he goes on to describe, I think he shares with many Christians in today's world. He says, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium. To float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. 
It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. How different from Paul the Apostle, who said to be with Christ was far better. But my pastoral experience is that many of us resonate more with that contemporary Christian pastor than we do with the words of old from the Apostle Paul. An English vicar said when asked what he expected after death, when it comes to that, I suppose I shall enter the eternal bliss. But I really wish you wouldn't bring up such depressing subjects. How we have fallen so far away from those early disciples who were ecstatic about the prospect of heaven. Pictures of heaven filled the catacomb walls. Pictures of beautiful landscapes, of children playing, of people feasting and banquets for all. But we often see miles away from that in our anticipation. John Aldridge writes, Nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We've settled on an old image of a never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen. And our hearts sink forever and ever. That's it. That's the good news, ever and ever. And we sigh and feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. And we lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. In common with much of these thoughts, is the impression people have that heaven is less real than earth. Earth is kind of solid and firm. The colours are are bright and strong, but heaven is rather misty and vague. Not quite real as real as this concrete earth. It's all in soft focus and the colours are hazy. A bit like clouds, you can see them. But when you reach out to them, there's nothing tangible. There's nothing really there. We act particularly like this, I think, in the language that we use. When we talk about this life being the real thing, and heaven is the place you go to when it's over. Think about with me for the language we use. When I die, please don't say I've fallen asleep. Whatever else I will be doing, I will not be sleeping. There are loads of things I want to do when I get to heaven. For a start, so many things that I've wanted to do on earth, but never got round to, never had the opportunity to, never had the time to. There'll be a list of things. Please don't say I'll have fallen asleep. Will my abilities to love, to relate, to laugh, to know, to create, to explore, to design, to feel, to sense, to give, to receive, will all those things be gone? No. In this glorious new world, they will be more fired up, more passionate, more free from sin, and ready to go like never before. You see, when I say to my Joel, who's five, it's time for bed, every single day he goes, oh. You see, he has lived at 120 miles an hour since the moment his little eyes opened in the morning. For him, there is so much to do to explore, to enjoy, to be involved in, so many experiences to share in, so much fun to be had. Joel, why don't you want to go to sleep? It's so boring. There is so much to do. Why would he possibly want to sleep? Such is the adventure of life that he is only just exploring. How much more will we be gripped by the adventure of life that sleep will be far from us? Please don't say either that I've entered into my eternal rest 
or I'm resting in peace. I don't mind the peace, but if it's all right with you, I'm not intending to do much resting. In fact, humanly, it'll probably be the last thing on my mind, but I guess as reality sets in, probably for the first time ever, my work-life balance will be at a perfect equilibrium. So yes, I will rest. But I'm not going to heaven to rest. I'm going to heaven to live. You see, imagine the place that you've always dreamed of. You never thought it was possible to go there. But in this earthly life, you get the opportunity for that trip of a lifetime. The chosen destination. The place you've always wanted to be. But when you get there, you think, wow, I think I'll just have a rest. You stick around the hotel and you lounge at the pool. And when you get home, people say, how did you get on? Oh, I didn't really sit. I just had a rest. How weird would that be? The place you'd always dreamed of being. When you get to heaven, this most fantastic place that is yours to enjoy and explore, where every turn your heart will be thrilled and every sight will take your breath away, no one's going to stay in and watch the omnibus edition of EastEnders. And finally, please don't say Simon has passed away as if I will be somehow less than than I am now. Guys, when I'm out of here, I want you to know that I'll be more alive, more wide awake, more alert, my senses more engaged, my passion more stood, my heart more pounding than it will ever have been in this sinful, fallen, crippled world. We're like all of us. I've only limped along, but then I'll be free, and then I'll dance, and it'll be more than the charismatic shuffle. You see, now it's just but a poor reflection. Then face to face. Now it's just dimly knowing in part, but then fully known. Whatever else will have happened to me, I don't think I'll have passed away. You see, heaven's beyond our imagining, isn't it? In fact, Paul wrote, No eye has seen and no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But look at the next verse, which we often miss. But God has revealed it to us by his Holy Spirit. As a born-again Christian, by the Spirit of God, you have enough at your disposal to begin to grasp what heaven is really like. There are enough connections that you can make that God has given us to help us understand. The Bible tells us that heaven will be centered on a new earth. There will be continuity with this life. And because you know earth, you know what life is like here on earth. And because you know God, you have a good idea about how he would want this life on earth to be. You have enough knowledge to begin to glimpse, to begin to peek of what heaven will really be like. And the Bible helps us to do just that. You see, most people, when they think about glimpsing heaven, do what uh, uh, it's customary to do. They look up. And they look up, and what do they see? The vastness of the sky and the clouds and so on. And they say, heaven is up there somewhere. And maybe that's why our image of heaven is so fluffy and nebulous and ethereal. It's up there somewhere in this vast expanse of cloudy fluffiness. Don't look up to glimpse heaven I'm asking you to look around. Look around and imagine, because of all you know about God, imagine what life will be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. Imagine all this 
as it was made to be. Not simply renewed, but recreated. I will make everything new, was the promise in that final, in the reading we had, the penultimate chapter of Revelation. Imagine for a moment the flowers unwilted, the grass undying, the blue sky without pollution, people smiling, joyful, no anger, depression or emptiness. Close your eyes, envision the most beautiful place, whatever it is for you. Palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, snowdrifts. Picture family and friends all together like they should be. Walking, laughing, loving, caring, reminiscing, joy abounding. Imagine your body free from every disease and decay. Imagine your body powerful and beautiful. Imagine those parts of your bodies, and this is particularly true for ladies, and it's very important, it's not a gimmicky thing. Imagine your body, those parts of you that you really struggled with, looking really beautiful to everybody else, and more importantly, really beautiful to you. Imagine being that complete that you feel like you're the person you wanted to be. Imagine no embarrassment and no shame and no self-consciousness and no crippled self-esteem. And then in this glorious world where it's all just uh, beautifully whole, someone's approaching. Someone whose warmth and presence is beginning to overwhelm you, even though you know they're still a long way off. And it's Jesus. And his arms are open wide and his face is beaming like you imagine him to beam. And you fall to worship him. And after a moment he lifts you up from the floor, your bad face down, and you fall into his embrace. You've never felt so fully yourself as you do right now. You are with the one you were made for. You are in the place you were made for. And what's that smell? It seems like there's a feast, a banquet up ahead. And you're invited. And when you eventually get there with Jesus, everyone, everyone there is thrilled to see you. This is where you belong. And you know it deep in your heart like you've never known it before. Imagine. In a world where people say they can't imagine heaven, people of God, you've got to start dreaming it. Hello? Good, just checking. Thought you'd already gone. <laughs> Hallelujah. And maybe it's time to change our language. You see, friends, I don't really want to fall asleep, if the truth be told. And I don't really want to rest in peace, even less pass away. But I do want to be this person this world has never fully let me be. And I do want to live the life this world has stopped me living. And I do want to be with this, the one this world has separated me from. To be with the one I was made to be with. To be in the place where I was meant to be. To be the person I was created to be. No wonder the Bible says, it'll be like going home. It'll be like going home. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are still with me. And then, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house, the home of the Lord forever. In my Father's house. In my Father's home. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. See, home is where I'm loved and accepted. Home is where my needs are met. Home is where I lay my burdens down. Home is the place I can run to when I'm discouraged or under pressure or disappointed or hurt or just worn out. 
Home is where I can be refreshed in my body and in my spirit. Home is where I can wear my jeans and slouch in the chair and not worry about how I look or what I say. Home is where the food is what I like, where the people and relationships that matter most to me are known. Home is the reference point from which I measure every other aspect of my life. And if you've been away from home that first night in your own bed, it's heaven. And if you've been far abroad, that first familiar meal, your stomach is so grateful. And if you've spent three hours getting up the A12, that long bath, your home. And I'm aware that home is nothing like that for some of us. Home is the place, painfully, where we can't be ourselves. It's demanding and not refreshing. The place where we live, but far from home. Know this, though, today, our true home will be everything that all of us long for home to be, plus a thousand more. Samuel Morrison was an old missionary who had served in Africa for 25 years, and he was coming home at the end of his life of service to his native America. And it so happened that he was travelling on the same ocean liner as President Teddy Roosevelt, back from a hunting expedition. And when the great ship pulled into the New York harbour, it was jammed with what looked like the entire population of old New York. Bands were playing, banners were being waved, coloured balloons were in the air, flashbulbs were popping and newsreels were uh, recording. And Mr Roosevelt stepped down the gangplank to thunderous applause and he was showered with confetti and ticker tape. The crowd had to be restrained from mobbing him. At the same time, Samuel Morrison quietly walked off the boat. No one was there to greet him. He slipped through the crowd utterly unnoticed. Because of all the people there to see the president, he even struggled to get a cab. And inside his heart, he began to complain, Lord, the president has been in Africa on a hunting mission for three weeks. And this is the, uh, uh, this is the open welcome that he gets on his return. I've given 25 years serving you in Africa, and no one has greeted me. No one even knows that I'm here. And in the quietness of his heart, a gentle, loving voice whispered, My dear child, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Here are some things about the home that awaits you. It's a home prepared for you. Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place. It was a job he could have given the angels. He loved you too much to give it to the angels. He wanted to do it himself. To prepare it for you. This world took six days. 2,000 years he's been working on heaven. And in Revelation chapter 21 that Anna, Anna Marie read to us, we have a different words to express the same thing. Heaven prepared by God as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. God has taken the same attention to detail as a bride does in getting ready for her husband. The weddings I know about, the bride stops at nothing in preparing herself. The clothes, the underclothes, the nails, the hair, the makeup, the headdress, the jewellery, the shoes, the accessories, the flowers, no expense spared. Every decision talked about and deliberated over for many painful months. All that effort, why? So that when she enters the church and all the eyes of the congregation are turned to look at her and the groom himself is there waiting to see his bride, she spends all that time so there might be an audible gasp. Wow! How could the back end of a tractor look like that? <laughs> I'm only kidding. 
Only kidding. Guys, practice your wows just in case it doesn't come uh, naturally. God has been preparing heaven for 2,000 years that you might go wow when you get inside that place. And you might wow for eternity at his heart for you. Home is a place for you. You see, when I go to my family home, I have to occupy the spare room. There isn't really a place for me anymore. I'm just passing through. I don't really belong there. But in God's plan for heaven, you have a place there. You are not an optional extra. At the heart of heaven is God living with his people. That's what it's about. A place for you. Look at Jesus' heart. At his final prayer on earth, he says, Father, this is what I want. I want those you have given me, that's you, to be with me where I am and to see my glory. He is longing to welcome you to heaven. Your nameplate is on the door. Your pass is already at the gate. Your place at the table has already been laid. Now, heaven is perfect. A home that's perfect for you. When John gets this vision, there's all kinds of things in Revelation 21, and if you've still got your Bibles open, you'll see that I keep picking verses from that passage throughout this morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. There was no longer any sea. Is what John is seeing here, is it a physical thing about heaven or a symbolic thing about heaven? I don't know, and I don't really care. Uh, Will there be sea as we know it in heaven? I don't know. There'll certainly be a lot of water. The river of life will be at the center of all that goes on there. But why was this important? It was important because for the ancient people, the sea was a dangerous and a difficult place. The sea divided nations, divided countries. It was dangerous and uncontrollable. The sea kept people apart. In heaven, there will be no separation. There will be nothing that separates us from one another anymore. No hard feelings that divide us. No hurt feelings that separate us. No misunderstandings. No critical spirits. No divorce and no death. No piles of rubbish or prisons of debris. No business trips that take people away or military call-ups that take people away for years on end. No sickness or weakness. No dangers or hardship. No fires or famines or floods. No wars or refugee camps or ethnic cleansing. No racial or political or religious prejudice. No class system or economic sanctions or human slavery. All the things that divide us there will be no more hallelujah hallelujah and you know what there'll be no more scars because everything will be made new no scars of sin and guilt and abuse and shame and disappointment and regrets and hurts everything our hearts our minds our emotions our psyche our memories past present and future made new hallelujah he will wipe every tear from their eyes forget this idea that God is distant uninterested in you who's going to wipe the tears as you enter heaven God himself will wipe the tears from your eyes and mine too And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. So no more suffering either. How are you suffering today? Physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, socially, spiritually. Friends, there'll be no more pain. 
There'll be no more hospital wards and deaths and funerals and griefs. There'll be no more Zimmer frames and commodes, wheelchairs and bed hoists. No more suicide bombers, fiery infernos, broken homes and broken hearts, broken lives and broken dreams. No more mental illness. No more physical handicaps. No more muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis. No more blindness, deafness, disease or sickness. There'll be no more heart disease. No more Parkinson's, diabetes, arthritis, cataracts, paralysis. No more cancers strokes or AIDS, no more guns in schools and bombs under cars, terrorists, missiles, airstrikes, no more war, all no more. If you want to go to heaven, you'll have to get used to living without all those things. Oh, I was quite thrilled about that. (laughs) Blimey. Guys, you just better go there and experience it for yourself. The trouble is though, if God lets you in, do you know what you'll do? I heard it. You'll spoil it. Do you know why? Because of what's inside you. And so heaven is a home that he has purified. Purified you for. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 You see, there's some of us this morning, sin's such a tiresome thing, isn't it? When we looked at salvation a few weeks ago, about salvation being past, present and future, about one of the things about salvation being the struggle with sin day by day, there are some of us here this morning and we are weary of battling with sin in our lives. Listen, the day we see him is the day we'll be like him. Hallelujah. Do you know I'll be free from my sinfulness? I'll be free from my sinful actions and my sinful attitudes and my sinful habits and my sinful words and feelings. All those things in me that so stupidly and ridiculously I know every day I let rob me of the life that I was meant to enjoy. But it'll be gone in a perfect home that I will be made perfect for. And this isn't any home. This is the Father's home. The Father's home. The Father's house that will be filled with the Father's love. A paternal home. Such that there will be no need for the sun. The city won't need the sun or the moon to shine. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb that's referring to Jesus will be its lamp. Isaiah is so excited about this, even hundreds of years before Jesus came, that he couldn't resist writing about it in his book. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will be the, the brightness of the moon shine on you. Why? For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Maybe you like to dance. And often above the dance floor, there are these um, uh, globes, aren't there, that are lots of little squared mirrors that reflect uh, the light above the dance hall. And when the light shines on it, the light sparkles everywhere, so that the place where you're dancing is a blaze of light. It's a very poor comparison, I know. But is that what John is trying to describe when he says this? He says, I was carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain and I was showed the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This is what he says of it. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was that like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. John saw the eternal city coming down from heaven and it resembled to him like this sparkling, clear globe, diamond-like, stone, blazing with the glory of God's very nature. And the splashing light of God's glory was illuminating the whole universe with breathtaking 
beauty. It's no wonder this place, so consumed with the presence of God, is the place of never-ending praise. A home full of praise. And do you notice, John says, perhaps he was quite surprised, I didn't even see a temple. I didn't see the church. Why? Because there isn't one there in heaven. Isn't it weird that we think of heaven as being like one long church service and when we get there we won't even be able to find one? Hallelujah, some of you say. There'll be no need for one because every moment will be just full of praise. Do you know, it's not always like that on earth, is it? But I hope there are times in your life when you are, to use the words, lost in love, wonder and praise. See, I even hope that for you this morning, even tonight as we meet and we gather together and we worship Him, that you will just be full of God's presence, lost in love, wonder, wonder, love and praise. But then imagine that this evening, and you leave this place so full of God's presence, you get home, open the front door and discover that the dog has pooed on the new hall carpet. What happens? You come crashing in a split second, right down from the crescendo of worship, right into the messiness of living, quite literally, on planet Earth. It's not always a life of unending praise. I can remember once coming back from uh, Romania. Uh, it had been a, a really good trip, and I'd felt so stirred and challenged by it. I, I think it was the time that I preached in our twin church in Bucharest when they were baptizing 17 people. I mean, come on, what are we doing with our time over here? Uh, you thought last week's service was long. Uh, and I was just really moved by it because they, they'd reached out to people in all kinds of different situations and they baptised them. It was a very powerful moment for me. And I can remember so full of it, coming back home, drove home from the airport, pulled into the drive, fired up about how good God was and the joy of being alive. I opened the front door and Kay says, oh, thank heavens, just in time. And she could do nothing else but hand me a child full of fresh vomit in order that she should go to the toilet where another child was doing the same with their head down the pan. Not every moment on earth is lost in wonder, love and praise. But in heaven, it never stops. Will that make it boring? You've not understood God if you think it'll be boring. His infinite creativity will make it far from boring. And heaven is populated for you. You're not going there by yourself. It's a place where God will bring all of us in Christ together. People from every age and every nation will all come together. Friends reunited doesn't know anything about reunions. This will be the reunion of the history of time. And we are relational beings. And a big part of heaven will be renewing those relationships that, are, that we have shared on earth as well as making countless new ones for ourselves. You see, we'll not simply be absorbed into some amorphous whole floating around like disembodied spirits. We'll retain our individuality. God made us that way. I will be me and you will be you. And we will recognize each other just like they recognized Jesus. He was different, but he was the same. I will be different. All the junk in my life will be gone. So in that sense, I might barely be recognizable, but it will still be me. And deep down, you'll know it was me. Who are the people you're longing to meet again in heaven? So many friends and family that have trusted Jesus and gone on ahead. What a day when we'll be together again.
all sounds just too fantastic, doesn't it? And we ask the question like we always do on earth, will it last? Because we're always, have you noticed that? Always nervous about good things on earth not lasting very long. God does a great work in our lives. Sometimes we think, uh, people say to me, will will it last? What if I wake up tomorrow and I don't feel like this anymore? Or we, you know, something good is happening in our lives and we think, oh, there'll come a time when it's over. We'll have a fantastic holiday, but but it, it never lasts. And we live in a world that doesn't seem very safe. Things don't last. The twin towers, the tsunami, the sudden death of a friend, the sudden diagnosis following a routine medical visit, a car crash, a burglary, a fall, whatever it might be. Will it last? Heaven is a home protected for you. What does John say? He said, I had a great high wall with 12 gates. Lots of symbolism in that, which we can't unpack this morning. But walls place beyond your dreams. But it's way beyond what any of you here can afford. The price of entry into this place is perfection. And not one of us can pay that price. Remember how we began. We began about God's heart to prepare a place, to make a place, to welcome us in. God longed so much to welcome you to this place you could never afford that he paid the price for you. His terrible, agonizing suffering on the cross paid the price for our eternal home. Heaven is a home paid for you. That's what it cost Jesus to deal with all the junk and the rubbish in my life and yours so he could clean us up from the inside out. And without that cleansing, we could never get inside. As the great hymn writer says, he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good that we might go at last to heaven. Why? Saved by his precious blood. There was no other who could do this. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. I want to ask you, do you know for sure this morning that you're going to this place? That you're going to this place? The Bible says it's very simple to be absolutely sure. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved from hell for heaven. Hallelujah.